The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome once again to the Wrestling Inc. podcast. I'm Glenn Rubenstein, joined as always by Wrestling Inc.'s own Raj Geary. And today uh, we have a special guest. Raj, would you like to introduce Jesse? Uh, yeah, so uh, columnist for our site, Jesse. Hopefully, uh, he's having some technical difficulties, but hopefully, he can join us here in a little bit. Cool, man. So, we're going to talk about SmackDown Live today. Uh, SmackDown Live for December 6th, 2016. So, this was kind of a weird episode. I mean, that was my initial take on it. I mean, Raj, do you concur? Um, no, I thought for for what they had to work with, I thought, uh, you know, I thought it was, I thought it was fine. Well, I, I guess weird in the sense that coming out of tables, ladders, and chairs on Sunday, the momentum and announcement on Talking Smack was that we were going to have a title match between AJ Styles and James Ellsworth. And then right around the time I finally wrapped my brain around the idea that that was actually happening in the main event of SmackDown Live, the show opened with AJ coming out with a boot uh, and uh, basically saying that he was in- unable to to compete that night, not medically cleared. So what's what's the story on that? Did they fully explain how that happened? Uh, like, you know, like we reported on the site, just uh, he's being checked out, uh, minor, minor ankle injury. So uh, nothing new since that. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so, you know, uh, obviously they had to change plans. And with their limited roster right now, there's there's not that much they can do. Yeah, so it was interesting. And I mean, maybe weird's the wrong choice of words, but it was a, a different show, which I guess in some ways was good, right? Because we saw some different matchups there. We didn't see sort of that exact same uh, recycling beat by beat uh, that we had in previous weeks. And specifically, I mean, by having a Dean uh, AJ main event or uh, focus and instead having the main event between Dean Ambrose and The Miz. But yeah, so it opened up with AJ Styles coming out, addressing the audience, uh, addressing his tight splitting at table, tables, ladders, and chairs, um, which I thought was great that they're you know just acknowledging that and coming right out with it. Um, and then uh, having James Ellsworth come out, uh, Dean Ambrose coming to the ring, giving James Ellsworth the dirty deeds, turning around, then just leaving, which I thought was fantastic. And, uh, you know, all in all, I thought it was an okay way to open the show. But yeah, it sort of set the tone that we were going to see something a little bit different for the evening so um from that we went into a tag team rematch uh for the title between rhino and heath slater versus the wyatt family so raj in your mind did this just sort of confirm that this is you know the 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 end of the line for for the title picture at least as far as rhino and heath slater are concerned yeah and and they pretty much uh you know how like these tag team breakups go now in wwe but um they, they, you know, they, they kind of, sh- 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 I wouldn't say they confirmed it, but definitely teased it hard on uh, talking, I mean, on talking smack where uh, Rhino and, you know, Rhino walked out on Slater and, and they were arguing over who does all the work. So um, that's definitely, I mean, you know, we, we had talked about this the other night. There's not much else you can really do with them. So that, that definitely makes the most sense. What did you think as of, a team? I mean, there's not much you can do with them as a team. What did you think of the intro? With the, I mean, I, I think maybe an editor spent all of what five minutes putting together that Randy Wyatt intro that we saw last night. Uh, 
you know, they're just, they're just so different. Randy Orton, yeah. but uh, you know, I, he adds something to that, you know, the white family that they haven't had in a long time. So there's a spark there. So, um, so yeah, I think it's, you know, I, I like the fact that they're sticking with Orton in the group. Who knows if it turns out to be a big swerve down the line, but it's, it's not looking like it right now. And I think, uh, you know, it, it freshens Orton up and, uh, and it freshens the Wyatts up. I think they need to just get something on the same page. So, you know, I'm not saying if you're in the Wyatt family, you necessarily have to dress, you know, like a, like a schlub or a juggalo uh, just to, to be a, a member of the group. But Randy's look, I've never quite understood, you know, the disparity of the sleeveless hoodie with uh, the trunks. I mean, it, it's... I don't know what he's going for. To me, he looks sort of like I was messing around and create a wrestler and was like, oh, okay, that's good enough, you know, and just uh, left it at that. I feel like they just don't really gel as far as their visual look. Um, they don't gel, but I think Orton would look like less of a, a superstar if he changed to, to something more Wyatt-ish. Maybe just pants. Maybe just a pair of pants. I don't think he needs it. I think yeah, uh, just, just trunks, sleeveless hoodie. I, I, everyone is is is. Uh, I think Orton. You know, Orton's like one of the few wrestlers now that wears trunks. That used to be kind of standard. And uh, yeah. So, um, but yeah, I, I I actually would just leave it. I think he looks more like a star. Uh, I don't know if they necessarily gel, but I don't know if you have to to make it work. So, uh, I think making a gel almost uh, just you know i don't i think it would bring it down a little bit but it looks like jesse's uh jesse's technical problems are, are fixed so uh hey jesse um how are you doing hold on a second we can't hear you not sure how we uh how about now yeah we can hear there you. we go oh okay yeah i was on mute so that's it so i was like oh, yeah i'm doing great guys how are you doing Good. well man doing well thanks for joining us on the show today yeah, no problem. Yeah, so what do you think about about Randy and the Wyatts? Which, by the way, good band name. Yeah, I mean, so the Wyatt family and Randy Orton, I think, have both been kind of lost, you know, over the last year or so as far as booking-wise. So this does kind of give them a purpose. Orton is always, despite a guy that's as talented as he is, has always kind of struggled to, like, remain interesting on a lot of occasions unless he's in the world title picture. So this is something different for him that I think adds some flavor to his character. I, as far as like changing Orton, I think it's interesting that you see like they really go out of their way to make Orton look like a guy. Like they, they morphed. They didn't just add Orton to the Wyatt family. They morphed Randy Orton and the Wyatt family together. It's a team up as opposed to like when they had Brand- Daniel Bryan and it was kind of like a brainwashing or, or how they have had other members in the past. Yeah, I'm still uh, maybe just because that story was so weird. Like, so so Randy's gone crazy, and now him and Bray are just sort of on the same frequency. That's that's how we got to this point. Well, the Wyatt family kind of struggles with like some of the things that happened to the Undertaker, particularly earlier in the Undertaker's career, yeah. which is like sometimes because you have like on, this almost mystical character, there's just some weird stuff that happens to him that you can't really explain in storyline, yeah. yeah. and he's just like. At this point in, in both guys' career, you just have to kind of accept it uh, as something that's going to happen, you know. It kind of like kind of like in like any form of like fantasy novel or anything. Like if a, magic is like the ultimate uh, 
you know, like kind of thing that solves everything. And like, it's just like, you don't have to explain it sometimes because the Y family is mystical. And you know, just like <laughs> the undertaker, the undertaker has superpowers. Like the undertaker is dead, but then he comes back to life. Like that whole thing when he was in that vegetative state, like three years ago, like you just don't have to explain it sometimes because it's the undertaker. Who cares? I, I think Orton is a, a big enough star that they probably should have done more though to, to, you know, to explain him in the Wyatt, uh, in the Wyatt family. Um, but they they are where they are now and and, yeah. and, and it, you know it's it's like, like we were saying earlier it's a it's a spark for for both of them i'll tell you the weird part is and i think about this especially having the wyatts go up against heath slater and rhino i mean Heath having that big storyline about you know the contract and negotiating and i think it's so weird when you introduce that element with some of the uh performers on the ring and then you think about like well does bray wyatt go in and be like i need to talk to you about deal points man you know, like, let's, let's talk a little bit, you know, about these terms. Yeah, you can't let those kind of, you can't let the, the facts get in the way of a good story. You, I mean, you know, that'd be ridiculous if they did that with Taker or Kane, too, you know. So. Yeah. <laughs> All I'm saying is if they're going to do this matchup again, I just put this out there to the WWE universe because no one did this. We had Slater and Rhino versus the Wyatt family twice now, and no one made a sign that said Slater's got kids, but Wyatt's got a family. Just, hey. just saying Put it together, hold it up, you'll get on camera. Um, <laughs> so we went from that match last night to uh, Carmella versus Natalia, and that was uh, didn't really happen in a traditional sense. One of those, I mean, they've do you feel like they've done this too much, uh, Jesse, with the, the women's matches of just sort of like, hey, we're gonna have a match and then just beat down chaos, you know. I mean, I don't think that's a problem that's exclusive to the women in WWE yeah, yeah, yeah. as far as that. Oh, man, this is a bad storyline just because <laughs> everyone knows Natalia is the one behind it. The person who, uh, who jumped, uh, Nikki at the last, at Survivor Series. Yeah. And, like, she's like, everyone knows that except apparently the announcers and Nikki Bella. And so, like, it's all just beating around the bush with all the drama. Like, oh, was it really Natalia? Because we all know it's her. And if it's not her, it makes absolutely no sense if it's not her. So it just, like, to me, it just feels so bad. I, I actually kind of like Carmella a little bit in these bits. I think it gets her personality over. Uh, Carmella is greatly offensive because she pretends to be from Sat- Staten Island and she's from Boston. Yeah. Which is a, should be offensive to both people from Staten Island <laughs> and people from Boston. Uh, but that's beside the point. But I think it's just – it's okay because it gets Carmella time. It gets Natalia time. It gets Nikki Bella time and that's you know three women getting time outside of the title picture which is kind of rare for women in wwe to have a storyline just outside of the title picture but it's just it's it's you might as well just next week i would just hope they let natalia just goes yeah it was me i jumped you because then we can get away get away from all this farcical nonsense with like trying to figure out who it was when everyone knows who it was yeah not much of a mystery when you got six women on the roster and majority of them were in the room (laughs) could have been eva marine Oh, that's true. You know, that would actually <laughs> but, be kind of a refreshing twist. Yeah, I mean, you know, as far as it's, I think it's good that at least they they followed up on the storyline, and and it's not, you know, it's like Jesse was saying, it's not, it's not really a, a great storyline or anything, but it's something that and and that they don't normally do. And um, the 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 one issue I had is, you know, Carmella revealing how she knew about it, and. Uh, why not say it on the show where you have millions of people watching as opposed to on talking smack, you know, where 
you know, they have hundreds of thousands at most. So, uh, you know, do the, because I mean, I'm sure that's one of the pe things people are wondering. It's like, well, how would Carmen Carmela know this? And, It'll be in the recap at the opening of the next show. That seems to be what they're favoring doing now is having know? talking smack advance the plot and then just putting in those nuggets at the beginning of the next show to show you what you missed. I, you know, I was impressed last night, sort of tell me, tell me what you think of this, what, what it means. So Carmela seemed, I mean, the, the, how you do when she was getting from the audience that she's, she's over. Right. I mean, like that was them responding to her, but then she shut it down and then she shut it down effectively. So it was yeah. like sort of, yeah, right there, because, yeah, because it was a small portion of the crowd that was being smarky and, and going back yeah. to her NXT days, you know, and she, yeah. she, she doesn't want that because she's not part of that group anymore. So, cause how you doing is Enzo and Cass's thing. Yeah. So I think that I think she did a great job shutting that down. I, I mean, it's rare when they shut it down and the audience responds. You know, Jesse. I'm yeah. Sorry, go ahead. It, no, it's it's just it's that's kind of an issue for Carmella because like, okay, so the crowd is reacting to her because Enzo and Cass are popular. She was part of that group that was popular. That's kind of why she's you know popular. Yeah. That's why she's on the main roster and everything. But at the same time, she's the bad bad guy in this whole situation. Yeah. So you can't like act. You know. You don't want the crowd chanting for you in like a positive manner, or at least uh, respecting you in that kind of way. So you kind of have to shut them down. But at the same time, that's kind of our ticket to success. I in, I feel the same way about Carmella and Alexa Bliss. Is that in the ring they're just okay? I think Alexa Bliss is a, a better than Carmella in the ring. But personality wise, I think they have something, and, and I think that's you know more important at this stage in the game than just being good in the ring. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, so we went from that to, man, I'm trying, I'm really trying to, uh, you know, care about what they've got going on with uh, Baron Corbin and Callisto. So they start teasing that last night. Um, and, uh, you know, they give that more than one segment, but then we had uh, the hype rose versus the Ascension. Uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, Jesse, are either of those teams really doing anything for you right now at this point? Man, SmackDown's got some teams with some bad gimmicks. Yeah, I, I, I just don't understand how Mojo Rowley cannot be a babyface. No babyface can be that annoying. He's kind, of, <laughs> he's, he, like I like Zack Ryder and and I get why they put them together. But Mojo's character, like his, they did the little inset promo and he just doesn't talk like a, a normal person. He just kind of shouts things like some sort of animal. I just I can't I can't watch them. The Ascension have just were just murdered as soon as they got up to the main roster. And you know they gotta flesh out the division because there's only a few teams now in it. But I just it's hard to care about either of them. You know they just WWE doesn't seem to want us to care about them given the gimmicks they're given. Um, yeah, I think the Ascension. I, I almost feel like they need to be repackaged and not a tag team anymore. Or if they are, have new partners because just they've been so badly damaged at this point. And uh, yeah, Mojo and and Zach Ryder, you know, same thing. I almost feel like you got to have Mojo turn on Zach because, uh, like Jesse said, Mojo's just uh, just it's he's hard to get get behind. Yeah, Mojo reminds me of like in WCW when they would bring in like football players, like they brought in Kevin Green and like some other people to do like a match. Like that's what he looks like when he's in the ring. He looks like a guy that's like a good athlete but's having his first match ever. <laughs> and it just—it's hard to think take that guy seriously, like as a frequent competitor, if he's not just doing shoulder tackles the entire time. He's—he's—he's uh, he's, he's like Rob. You know, he's good friends with Rob Ronkowski, and, and his personality is a lot like his. Now it's taking that personality and figuring out how will it connect with the audience. Is it something that they will hate, and if so, maximize that. And then I think uh, I think you know he he could do something as a heel. 
So. Well, people don't like the Patriots. You know, the Patriots are essentially heels of the NFL. So, <laughs> you know, just build on that. Yeah. I'm telling you, man, turn the hypros heel and you have a credible feud with American Alpha. You just need to build them up uh, a little bit more, you know? Yeah, they need to do something with American Alpha. I, I think Zack Ryder, um, I think he would benefit from go, leaving WWE for a while and going to like New Japan and, and mm. you know, kind of repackaging himself, getting a new persona because I think his character has just been so... Uh, it's just been so damaged over you know the last however decade or whatever he's been yeah. around. Well, I feel bad for Zach because now WWE has kind of a different attitude towards people like Zach Ryder. Like the thing with Heath Slater, like Heath Slater was never supposed to get over, and then eventually he somehow miraculously did. And WWE, to their credit, pushed him as a guy that was over and let him actually do stuff. When in the past, with a guy like Zach Ryder that got over inadvertently, um, they like. Make, went out of their way to kill him and cut him off at the legs. And so I think if Zack Ryder came along now, if his YouTube show was popular now, I think they would treat him differently. And I think it's an unfortunate circumstance in his situation. And I agree with you, Raj, at this point, uh, you know, maybe not New Japan, because I don't think his act would work really well there. But if he were to go to like, you know, ROH, PWG, Chikara, smaller indie promotion, where the fans are really familiar with him and like, you know, are still, there's still something there for him. Yeah. I don't even think he should keep this act. I think he should completely change his act because he's got like the physique that WWE loves. You know, he's got the look and everything. Uh, I think that this character is just, you know, so uh, overexposed and dead at this point that he, he needs to, uh, you know, kind of like Luke Gallows did, just repackage himself and, and become something different. And he grows like the most stereotypical heel beard ever in terms of just darkness, thickness, and just contrast to himself. So, I mean, I think, you know, he's got options, you know, especially in being a bad guy. Yeah, he's got uh, that late WCW Randy Savage look right now, kind of, with, with yeah, that beard. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. You know, I think it'll be interesting, uh, you know, when the history is written of it, I think, um, you know, the story about whoever he rubbed the wrong way with, with creating his own push through the internet, you know, I think will be very interesting because that really became the template for what WWE uses now for their talent. Um, well, as as- to an extent, they still like, I mean, you know, to, to the point about Heath Slater, yeah. he got over with the, you know, lines that they created the I got kids yeah. thing. So they feel like he got over because of them. I feel like if Heath Slater, you know, got over because of stuff he was posting on Instagram and Twitter or something like that, uh, they wouldn't be behind it. So, uh, well, you know, I th- they- yeah, I just think it's more of a case of someone getting over without like them having big plans to get over. It's not like, you know, Roman Reigns or Kevin Owens or Seth Rollins or Dean Ambrose getting over because they push those guys. These are guys that like inadvertently kind of got over. And James Ellsworth is another perfect example of a guy that got over like pretty much ironically. But to their credit, they, they're milking it for all it's worth. A lot of people are mad that he's, there's too much Ellsworth on this program. There is, but it, there's also a short, short life to, to these. Oh, I exactly. mean, just like a Damien Sandow. You know, they, uh, they'll, you know, they'll get a, they'll, they'll get overdue to something that WWE did, but take it to another level. And WWE, I think they see it as a short term thing that you, you never see them with these long term plans once they, you know, once they, like here, you know, once you see Heath Slater and Rhino breaking up, I don't see much more for Heath Slater after this. Oh, well, he's going to team with James Ellsworth. Just right. That writes itself. Yeah, well, that'd be a solid feud. I th- I just think I th- that's what I think is we're going to see the trajectory of Ellsworth is I think he's going to literally somehow get into a feud with the Miz. He's going to just go down the list, end up tagging with Heath, 
they'll be like Ellsworth and Slater. Like Ellsworth is just going to make the run through on his way out of the company, you know, over uh, the coming months. Yeah, I mean, part of his appeal, the whole reason they signed him was because of, you know, he uh, he connects with, you know, he connected as a babyface with fans in kind of an ironic way, but he connected and, and the fans responded to him. Now turning him heel, you, you yeah. kind of lose all that. So, uh, I mean, Ellsworth versus Ambrose doesn't excite me. It's not something that I'm like, oh, we should, I need to go to this live event coming up because <laughs> Ambrose is facing Ellsworth. And uh, with the, the, you know, we'll, we'll get to it in a minute, but you just see like the lack of, of depth at the top right now. And, and Ellsworth is not going to fill that void. I'll tell you though, man, being there, you know, as I was in San Jose, the the first night they had Ellsworth versus Styles with Dean Raff. I mean, that was like just my, my mind blowing circumstance and event. And I think the problem is they're just overplaying it too much. You know, I mean, I feel like right now we're at peak Ellsworth, and um, they need to. I think turning him heel is a bad idea, and they need to just retain that novelty because even the audience reaction last night when he came out of that opening segment, it's it's starting to seem more mixed. You know he's getting oh, yeah. a chance, but no, yeah, no, he got not... a, he got a heel reaction when he first came out. Yeah, and then they remembered that they liked Channing Ellsworth. So. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think uh, I I think with his current trajectory, I I just don't see it lasting to you know through past the Royal Rumble, for, you know, if that far. Yeah, uh, and I can't remember. So the Rumble is that a shared pay per view? Yeah, yeah. Okay, think Ellsworth's going to be in the Rumble. Probably, yeah. <laughs> First eliminated or or last man standing final well, three. Oh god! They, well, they need guys for Brock and Goldberg to toss around, and it's better if they do that to someone like Ellsworth, who's never going to be taken seriously, as opposed to like a bunch of guys they're trying to get over, which is probably yeah. what they're going to do anyway. Oh yeah, I'm sure. I mean, how many guys are they trying to get over right now? <laughs> you could you could count it on one hand. So. Oh man, we need some new debuts at the Rumble. They gotta they gotta inject something. It's it's starting to feel like it's been a while. They gotta inject something before that on SmackDown because yeah, you got no one for AJ. Uh, you know, if it is AJ and Undertaker, well, he's not going to be wrestling Undertaker till the Rumble. So we got you know seven weeks until that. You know, I actually think. I mean, you know, we're talking about Ryder. I actually think Ryder could have another good solo run in him. I mean, he did have the IC title this year, granted for about twenty-four hours. But I think Ryder, they could easily, with with maybe like three weeks of work, get him back in the solo scene as a credible, maybe at least for the IC belt. I mean, something. I think. I think Ryder uh, Ziggler. If you turn him heel, it would give them something. Yeah, it would be a little spark, but. You know, they just don't follow. They just haven't been following through that well. Like the Usos, you know, turned heel, and yeah, they could have the done Usos? way more than with them, and and they're just lost in the shuffle. Even two though, tag, yeah, two tag team matches last night. Where are the Usos? Yeah, where are, where was the where's Apollo Cruz? Uh, he wasn't that ten man match at the start of uh, TLC and the pre show. Yeah, but he's like a lot of guys from NXT that they bring up just to yeah. bring up because they don't have any plans, and then. You know, with 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 Cruz. So when I first saw Cruz when he was wrestling for Evolve, I was like, "Wow, this guy's you know huge, but he can do all these moves. He's great." And then that was like four years ago, and and now you see Cruz, and it's like, "Oh, this is guy that's gonna he's got can do all these moves, and he's huge. He's gonna be great. He's like the same guy." And I think with Cruz, they just look at the guy like he's gonna be a star, and then they just kind of ignore him because they just well, it's so obvious he's gonna be a star. Look at him and look at the stuff he does. And they never actually like gave him any like personality or or let him you know cut long promos and you know cut his teeth 
doing that. And it's just so and so he's not over. So they just keep him off the show because you know I, I didn't even realize he wasn't on the show until I remembered earlier <laughs> today. Because his personality is his winning smile, and that's about it. You know, he's yeah. got an amazing smile, and that's his personality. You know. <laughs> If you if you turn that into a disingenuous smile, you could probably do something with them. You know, make him. Here's another. One. You know, he's. You know, someone's mentioning in the comment section about where's Jack Swagger. You could, you know, have Jack Swagger and Apollo Cruz like being like they're they're fed up with being lost in the shuffle, and they become a team. You know, at least you're doing something with them. And uh, because yeah, like you were saying, Apollo Cruz is such a talented guy. It just sucks to see him with this smiling baby face gimmick that doesn't work for anyone. And it never, and it hasn't in you know decades. That should be like the social outcast 2.0 stable on SmackDown. They should call it like the Forgotten or something, and just get all these guys that are just there not doing anything. You know? Well, once you get too many guys that <laughs> well are, are be, perceived as lower card, they're well, you know they would be dwarfed by the amount of raw guys that aren't doing anything. So that's true. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's they should just rotate them between shows. You know what I mean? Like the undercard. Like the undercard shouldn't even be on a roster, and that way we could just mix it up and have them come in. You know, maybe maybe do the free agent thing a little more. I mean, with Heath Slater, they showed that that was a successful storyline, right? I mean, having someone that went between shows and did these one-off matches. I mean, it got people interested in Heath Slater. I think if you treated this brand split as more as like a real competition where they're trying to sign guys from the other side and and make that more part of a storyline, it'd be way more interesting, you know, than yeah. just randomly here and there you'll you'll have someone, you know. Actually, they haven't even done that. Have they done that since Swagger? I don't think they have. No, and what's up? Did you see that picture online? Swagger was like rocking like a onesie, uh, and it like under his singlet, in on a house show. I think it was last week or the week before. Oh, uh, with the with the beard or something. I I don't know what, but I just he was wearing like a gray onesie underneath his uh, singlet. I don't know what the story was there. I mean, but it's Jack Swagger. It's not like the world is waiting with bated breath to see what Jack Swagger has in store next. But uh, I thought that was an interesting look. Um. Yeah. Yeah. But without uh, so I'm sorry because I get the two confused. Uh, so uh, it's main event or superstars that's no longer superstars. Super, no longer. Superstars. Yeah. Gotcha. So yeah, I mean, I think it's going to hurt guys like that the most by not having a secondary B show for them to, I mean, cause that, that's where they were, right? I mean, the, when you see like the gender Mahals of the world, um, you know, those that aren't doing anything, I mean, those B shows are their, their lifeblood at this point. Right. You know, watches the B shows. So, I mean, it's basically just how they're basically just house shows. They're only there for the people who entertain the people yeah. who are actually in the arena. So those guys will still have house shows. Uh, I'm sure, you know, yeah, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, all the house shows guy went to like five house shows last year, and it was mostly. But granted, this was before the brand split was in effect for touring. But I mean, it was mostly, uh, you know, mid card and top of the line guys. So I don't know. I'd be, I'd be interesting to know what their perspective is, you know, right now on the state of things. But uh, speaking of the undercard, we we did uh, get the Baron Corbin and Callisto match last night. Uh, I mean. I don't know. I, I get the size difference being interesting, right? But I mean, Jesse, I'll go to you first. I mean, is this doing anything for you, the storyline? I mean, I was the chairs match was better than I thought it was going to be uh, yeah. going into it. I thought, you know, that was at least exciting. And, you know, Kalisto's doing yeoman's work at this point. He, he guy just works really hard in the ring and he just doesn't have a doesn't stand a chance when it comes to winning any of these matches against Corbin. I mean, Vince loves Corbin, and you can tell because 
I think Morrow always goes, or I don't know, one of the announcers always goes, that's a future world champion. You just know that's a Vince line. And that's why you know that he's really behind Corbin outside of just the booking. So they think Corbin can be something. Um, a lot of people don't, don't, uh, I don't think his ceiling is, is really that high. I don't think he's, he just isn't that interesting to, to watch wrestle. And when you're a limited guy in the ring and you're, you're going to be the big bully and you're not going to be selling a lot, your matches are generally going to be bad because your offense doesn't really look that good. And you're on offense 90% of the time. His promos that are just, uh, Oh, he's got no personality. It, it, it just brings him down so much. And I, I, he's, he's one of those, I don't know if he'd benefit from not having scripted promos and just having bullet points. Cause, uh, he just sounds so unconvincing every time he speaks and you could tell when he's trying to put the emphasis on certain, uh, you know, sentences. And it's like, man, it's brutal. Uh, you, you know, it's, uh, he, 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 I mean, I almost feel like he needs more work on his promos and his in-ring work. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's at this stage in the game where wrestling is, that's what's more important is that the guy has a personality, uh, and he doesn't have one in addition to not being very good in the ring. I think his entrance is great. I think he's got a great entrance, but as, as far as anything else goes, it just, I, I can't get behind him. You know, he was likable on breaking ground. I mean, I thought that they did something there to sort of establish him. And I just don't know why we, I mean, he, his in-ring persona, persona is, seems like that's largely who he is in real life, but I think he's got a little more of a smirk, a little more of a sense of humor. I think about it in real life. And I think that it would benefit them to just inject a little more of that into it, you know? And I, I thought uh, that when he won the, the, uh, the arm bar at um, WrestleMania, the fact giving him like a sincere win like that and having him show a little more humanity and personality and victory, I thought would be a turning point to flesh out Baron Corbin more, but it's just sort of back to the same thing. I think Corbin's one of those guys that could benefit from being in a tag team right now to kind of get more experience in the ring, uh, you know, uh, and, and then, you know, it's like, like with Roman in the shield uh, where Roman was so uh, green and, and, I wouldn't say bad in the ring, but he wasn't, he wasn't that good. And by the time they split, you know, Roman's, you know, as much as people like to criticize, Oh, he's got five moves or whatever. Who cares how many moves you got? It's not what you do with them. And, and he has consistently good pay-per-view matches. And, uh, you know, I, I think Baron Corbin could benefit from something like that. I've been saying this, put Corbin in the Wyatts. I mean, Corbin, I'm think about it for a second though. Corbin in real life. I don't know if you saw the episode of breaking ground. He's into some weird stuff. Um, and I think like his obsession with skulls and things like that, he could do something that would fit with it. Um, and it would put him around, putting him around charismatic, someone charismatic, I think might rub off on him a bit. I feel like you need to put him in with good workers and that's like Roman benefited from being in with Seth Rollins. And I think Corbin, if you put him in, like if you turn Ziggler heel and had him be like, uh, you know, Ziggler's henchman or something like that, he, he could benefit from that. Cause I think, uh, uh, you know, he, that's, he needs that's where he needs a lot a lot of work but yeah uh, i mean i could i the the whites i just think it's a little Wyatt's is more horror movie he's more biker but i there is a a similar i guess outfit there but uh the look he would a little bit this way he would look more in place there than randy orton would yeah you know that's what I'm saying. But I think with Corbin, they got to do something with Callisto. I mean, I just feel like it's not like Callisto is going to make Baron Corbin a star having them feud against each other. Well, Callisto, you know, you know, Vince's things with, with guys his size and he's someone that would, you know, benefit from probably being in the cruiserweight division. Oh, definitely. Yeah, a lot of people think that 
I mean, I think Kalisto, his role right now is actually really beneficial to Baron Corbin because if you watch their matches, like Kalisto's doing a lot of stuff. He's selling for him. He's let, diving outside the ring so Corbin can catch him and then slam him. He's making, I mean, Corbin's having pretty decent matches for Baron by Baron Corbin standards, and that's got to be attributed to Kalisto. So I get why they're they're working them together because they need a good guy to make Corbin look good. And Kalisto, uh, you know, could he be doing more? Could he be a bigger star? I mean, maybe, but at the same time, it's just, you know, they have to have a good guy to work with Corbin, and Kalisto is just the guy that can work with them. I don't know, man. Both of the Lucha Dragons were dead to me when I went to a live event and saw that they put a trampoline right outside the ring for them to do that springboard. Oh, but wasn't it during the chairs match? Didn't Corbin catch Kalisto, like did the springboard into the ring? And I think Corbin just caught him and slammed him. And I thought that was a cool spot. That's the best spot of their matches is always Corbin doing the catch, you know, after some cool uh, flippy stuff. Uh, So we're going to get back and talk about the women's uh, confrontation last night between Becky and Alexa Bliss and the main event between Dean Ambrose and The Miz. But first, I want to take a uh, minute and thank our sponsor, DDPY, DDP Yoga. You know it. You'll love it. You've heard us talk about it here before. And DDPY has changed countless lives. Many of the past and current roster have benefited immensely from it. We're talking about Jake Roberts. You saw the documentary. DDPY saved his life. Scott Hall, Chris Jericho, Mick Foley, Goldust, Dustin Runnels. Looks fantastic. And if you've been thinking about taking control of your own health and fitness, you want to get into shape and improve yourself. DDPY is having their biggest sale ever right now, their Ho 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 holiday sale, which is already underway. So for a limited time, you can get the DDPY DVDs for 25% off, and that includes three months of full access to the DDP Yoga Now app, or you can just uh, get the DDP Yoga Now app for 25% off if you're a digital-only kind of person. You can also buy a Max Packer combo pack at 25% off, and you get 50% off the second one. So buy one for yourself and buy one to give as a gift. I'm telling you, the holidays are coming up. Sure, it's a bit of a weird gift to give somebody like, hey, here's some yoga DVDs. You need to turn your life around you let yourself go a little bit you're looking good but you could be better and what's going to get you there ddpy it shows somebody that you care it might be awkward for a moment but trust me they'll appreciate it in the long run when they get into amazing shape using ddpy so if you've been on the fence about starting it now is the best time to get on board head on over to ddpyoga.com wrestling inc stop procrastinating get started now and save 25 percent when you go to ddpyoga.com wrestling inc do it for yourself do it for the people you love you're going to love it. You're going to be th- so glad you did it. I'm telling you, you're going to look back and say, I made the right choice to go forward with this. That's DDPY. And we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. I always personally like gifts where they're kind of telling you like, Hey, this is something you need to do. This is sort of a step you need to make with your life. Uh, for instance, every year without fail, you know what I get for uh, Christmas for my family? I get, I get a razor, I get a shave kit. And I'm like, what are you trying to tell me here? You know, this beard, when it finally comes in, it's going to be awesome. Oh um, man, at least I got to shave, every, you know, every other day. Like this is this, you know, I was clean shaven on Monday and I already got my beard. So, uh, I need like a, a freaking waxing on my face or something because I hate shaving. <laughs> oh, uh, I'm so like, was, I was, what's good. Go ahead. I'm like, I'm like 14, so I don't have to shave. <laughs> Someone's asking, uh, is any, is everyone else noticing the stupid camera shots? WWE is now constantly taking of kids during the crowd reactions. And yes, that has been driving me nuts <laughs> when they'll, you know, they'll go to the, the instant replay and show like someone going through a table and then they show some kid in the audience going like, wow, I think it's, it's just so weird. It's like if, you know, if you're watching a football game and there's a big hit or they show a replay of a play and then they cut to someone in the crowd <laughs> being like, wow, that was a great play. It's, it's psychological, yeah. though. They're the using what? it to they're using it to sell. I mean, it's psychological, right? It's like we've seen all these big moments with fan reactions that that people call out now. 
I mean, I don't know. Uh, I, I I don't know if you do it, Jesse. Like, I Raj, I don't think you're really into Reddit. But like, if you follow along on like Squared Circle, uh, the wrestling subreddit, and you go to the like live viewing threads, like people will just like they they, they enjoy that. They enjoy seeing not you know, during crazy a, fan reaction. not during a replay though. It's one thing, yeah, you yeah. cut to a fan reaction after a move or something. But when you're showing the replay, if it's and, a good one, if it's a good reaction, oh, you know, God, no way, that's insane. Like, could, could you imagine if after the streak ended? You know, when they show, you know, the guy that everyone knows, you know, the guy who's in yeah. shock. And then they're showing the replays of what happened and they show the replay of that guy again. <laughs> it would just take all the, the drama out of it. I did it. Just yeah. It's but the that weirdest guy, thing. That guy kind of like went viral. Like you see that meme like all over the place now outside of wrestling circles. So I think that might be like kind of a directive from you know, Kevin Dunn, who does the, the editing for all that stuff is, is like, get, you know, fans. And I, I don't, I get why it's annoying, but I get why they do it. Because like, if someone goes through a table and you want to show people like being excited about it and yeah, you know, so you show it right away, not during the replay. <laughs> it's like during a UFC fight in the knockout, you can cut to the reactions and everything, but then to show that in the, in the replays, they don't, no one does that. Hey man, WWE does a lot of things that no one else does. Yeah, that's just yeah. weird. It I'm just glad. Me. Speaking of replays, I'm glad during TLC the other night they at least re-showed AJ's what was it a 450 splash uh, outside the ring through the table. At least they ran that like three or four times. That thing, that spot was so awesome. Yeah, he's that's what the best I love that AJ's kind of owning his tight splitting too. Like yeah, he's he's uh, he's been joking about it on Twitter. Mentioned it on uh, <laughs> mentioned it during his promo on SmackDown last night, which I thought was great. Um. And, and that's one thing we forgot to uh, forgot to mention was AJ's promo at the beginning. I thought I thought that was really good, and uh, and uh, and Dean just coming in and and taking out Ellsworth I thought was perfect. So I, I like the way they handled uh, the opening segment with Styles not being able to wrestle. Um, and then with Becky and Alexa, uh, what do you what do you think, Jesse? I thought it was okay. Uh, like Alexa's personality is there. I think the more I watch Becky Lynch on SmackDown kind of away from, you know, Charlotte and Sasha Banks is, I, you know, I think she's just, you know, really entertaining, uh, definitely uh, someone that they can build the, the division behind, but it comes to a point where you do have to build the division and Alexa Bliss is as good as a candidate as anyone to build up. So they're putting her in the, as the champion. I thought the problem with it is that Lynch really lost on at TLC, like totally clean. She just, she went right through the table. Bliss didn't really cheat. There was no shortcuts. It wasn't like really a kind of a fluke finish. And so that kind of makes like Becky Lynch is like, she's just mad at herself, which isn't really good for a baby face. She's just like, Hey, I'm just really disappointed. I didn't get it done. And I think that's kind of tough for her, but I, I think they could have a good match uh, outside of the tables. I thought the tables match was kind of lame just because they, all they did was tease table spots for 15 minutes and you just, that can only last for so long. But uh, the, the segment was, it was quick and I thought it did an okay job. I just think Lynch is kind of handicapped because of the way she lost the match. Uh, I, th- I see. I think if you're going to lose it, that's probably the, and, and not lose and not really lose a tables match is probably, uh, the best way to do it. Cause you're not pinned. You're not submitted. I mean, it's like a total, it, it is kind of a fluke way to win. Yeah, it's like when Seamus beats Cena. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's the match that lends itself to being a fluke victory. And that's, that's what I said in my column and predicting was that I would definitely would have bet everything on Becky if it was a normal match, but the tables match gives you kind of an out to pin or, or to lose a big baby face without pinning them. 
Yeah, and I think it, I think it's it's good that they're keeping it going because they, they don't have much else for uh, Becky. So if you had Becky beat Alexa, I don't see how you could have kept it going because she's you know Alexa had been beaten enough times at that point. So it keeps it going, but um, I don't think people see this anywhere near what they see like Sasha and Charlotte, you know, on Raw. It doesn't have that, uh, you know, that that kind of heat or that kind of intensity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is sort of like a softer version of that. I just think they need to give Becky a little... I think they need to give both of them a little better material, I think, to work with. Um, you know, with Alexa, I just think because of her stature, right? I mean, she's she's short, and I think it's tough to imagine her as, like, the dominating force of the entire women's division. You know, I just don't think... I mean, I, I want to say she lacks stature both in presence and size. I think she. I think she just needs a little work because, you know, Sasha is so much smaller than Charlotte. Yeah. But they make it work. And I think it, it's just, uh, you know, it it just doesn't come across as a serious feud with the material they're given. Uh, you know, like just trying to, you know, dropping the B word here and there doesn't, uh, they're forcing the intensity when it's it's not really there. So, yeah, that's their go-to. Like if they, like the writers are lazy. Um, so like, they're like, oh, we need to like really spice it up. But like, I know we're going to call her. Bitch. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, that's it. That's it. That'll be like the huge spot. They do it in like every single woman's feud involves that. Or in a guy's feud, if someone's feuding with Triple H, you just call him Stephanie's bitch. And that's like the end of the world. So that's like the, the biggest line you can do in WWE. Yeah, yeah they love cheap, easy heat, right? Yeah. Um, although, you know, looking at SmackDown right now and seeing what's going on with Raw, I actually think put Dana Brooke over on SmackDown for a while. Like that's one that I would say I think Dana would actually fit in pretty well with uh, the SmackDown women's roster. And that would give her room. Cause I think her act be having been around Charlotte. I think Dana Brooke has established presence. She needs some ring work, but I think SmackDown would be more her speed right now. I, yeah, I agree. I, I think if you put Dana in there with someone with like Natalia, someone she could learn from and, yeah. and you know, kind of grow, but I have a feeling she's going to get some heat for, she was retweeting a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, about uh, all know. these tweets about her not being on raw dana like retweeted probably about what two dozen of them yeah and, and stuff yeah. about how like raw was bad uh yeah. because she wasn't on and the, the ratings dropping um which they did drop from last week but last week was the highest rated show uh you know since uh football started and the, this week's rating was still better you know was, i think it was number four for the season so it still wasn't bad um but yeah, you know, it's one thing to retweet like you're unhappy or what, and not not that you're unhappy, but uh, that you should be on a show. Yeah. It's another when you're saying the show is bad and the ratings are falling, and I know that's something they don't look too too fondly on. So, oh, I, I mean, mean Naomi too. Naomi was uh, going nuts last night. That's crazy. I mean, it's just very transparent when they do that because you know they're sitting backstage or they're at the hotel and they're just like pissed off, you know, and saying basically by retweeting saying to creative, like, see, everybody agrees with me. I should be on, you know? Yeah. Naomi. I don't, I don't Did you see Naomi's? I didn't stuff? see Naomi's. Our, our, we got a couple articles on that, but she was, uh, they released this poster of total divas and, um, you know, nominated for whatever it's nominated for. But, uh, it, it's, it features most of the women of the current season, but, um, it doesn't have Paige, but which is understandable because she's suspended. But it doesn't have Naomi, and it has Alicia Fox, who wasn't on the current season. <laughs> and I think Naomi took it as a snub because she was retweeting all this stuff, you know, that she was snubbed. And I think a lot of fans thought it was a snub. But what it seems like is uh, whoever created that poster, and I don't think it was someone from WWE. I think it was from E. Uh, 
confused uh, uh, yeah. Naomi for Alicia Fox. Now, I don't, yeah, I mean, you could call that racist. Uh, I, I don't like that, to lump everything in as yeah. racism because there's so many, there's serious kinds of racism and, and there's stuff like this, which I don't consider uh, to be the same thing. It's, it is, they, they didn't confuse Naomi with Paige, obviously. So yeah. ob- there was something that has to do with race, but it, it was a, it was, it wasn't, in, I don't think it was meant to be a uh, malicious. It was yeah. uh, a mistake, but uh, I think that's what happened. It wasn't to snub Naomi. Well, yeah. Alicia Fox has a very different look. I mean, if you tell me someone confused Naomi with Cameron, sure, we've all done it. They I have very similar looks. I, yeah, I, I've never did that. Really? I, yeah, Naomi no. and Cameron were always the one, and I was just like, Funkadactyls. Okay, you know, trying to do the math in my head. Um, but yeah, but Naomi and Alicia Fox, like, that's not, they don't look similar. Well, the thing with these women that you have to keep in mind is that the the career of the, the WWE women's wrestler is really short. It's only like you, the average, you know, career as far as being on the main roster for a lot of people is like under four years, and a lot of way to 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 get out of WWE and continue to make money is to you know kind of be this reality show kind of celebrity. And so Naomi, I can totally understand you want them to promote you because this is you know a chance for you to make a lot more money than what you're making right now, and perhaps turn into a reality star and have it out outside of WWE, and, and you know. Be, so you want to take care of yourself and it's much more of a, a desperate, I don't use the word desperate, but it's much more of a more prudent situation with the women as far as like, okay, I might only have five years here and Naomi's, you know, already been here for about four years, I think. So you want to be able to, to promote yourself as a star. You can't just wait around for 10 years and hope that. So I can totally understand her being upset that the total divas isn't promoting her uh, the way it would promote, you know, Nikki Bella or Natalia or Paige or one of the other stars of the show. So, uh, we should, should talk about Dean Ambrose versus The Miz for the IC title, but we, do, we did not touch upon it. It only needs a brief touch, uh, but Chad Cable versus Tyler Breeze. Uh, I mean, look, I understand the fashion police thing they're doing with Brazongo at this point, but I mean, again, this isn't making American Alpha look good by the guys that they're pairing them with, you know? I mean, because Brazongo seems like that's, that's, if not over, they're at like golden truth status now in, in SmackDown relevance. Yeah, but the problem with SmackDown is you got so many teams that have that status, the Golden Tree status. The Ascension are there too. The VOD villains, Mo- they have more tag teams that are at that status than than our upper tier. Yeah, but where were the Usos, man? I'm telling you, like the Usos at least yeah. are credible. You know, they've got they just, something to offer. They have nothing for them right now. <laughs> yeah, well, so with a lot of these NXT guys, they're the most over when they come up from NXT and they're fresh and they're exciting and you can go two ways with them. You can give them a big feud to start off like they did with Kevin Owens and, you know, Kevin Owens is, or the shield guys. And lo and behold, those guys are all over now, or you can like kind of put them in like, just like a middling feud. And unfortunately with American alpha, that seems to fall. They seem to fall into the latter category. Uh, so when you're looking at something like that, it's tough to see them, you know, they need to be in the, the tag title picture. I mean, when they first, debuted you think they're going to build the division around them and it's not being built around them it's being built around first Heath Slater and Rhino and now uh the Wyatts so I think American Alpha should totally be the the next contender to the Wyatt family but I mean WWE seems to not show a lot of faith in them as far as promoting them as the top tag team so yeah they they keep getting colder every week they did we touch on the Miz Dean Ambrose promo or is that next no I thought we'd talk about that right before the match. yeah oh, we gotcha. can do that all in one 
um trying to do that lately consolidate some of these storylines that go gotcha. throughout the episode um but yeah with it you know with american alpha for me what it was the beginning of the end is when they changed their singlets to to the sort of funky color pattern because i think they were doing a great thing doing you know the american college college athlete amateur wrestler i thought that was a really really good it just nailed their gimmick in a nutshell that these are you know two guys that just do it greco-roman style you know i think they, all... did, they need to they need to tweak their characters a little bit i think it worked in nxt but some of the stuff they do like when uh jason jordan does his comeback and he he pulls his straps down and does that yelling you know the, ah! <laughs> it sounds uh it sounds more like he's mocking kurt angle as opposed to like he's mounting a comeback you know what i mean and uh i, I just think they need to they need to tweak a couple things that aren't quite working yeah no definitely um so let's talk about uh the the miz and dean ambrose i mean so do you think uh, first off i guess to start with jesse uh to you first i mean do you think this is uh, a one-off or do you think they're gonna have a little side storyline well i really hope it's the next feud for dean ambrose because we don't need to see a whole like ambrose ellsworth feud that should be like a one match and done kind of thing and with i think ambrose and the miz are a, a good parent i think the miz really is He's the best traditional heel the company oh, yeah. has as far as just getting like that kind of old school heat is almost impossible to get today because the fans, you know, if a heel is doing a really good job, the fans usually just cheer for them because they appreciate a job well done. But as far as a for a guy like The Miz who still gets that kind of heat and just he's his character is so good. I thought his his the Miz TV segment where he gives out uh Ambrose the participation award and the fans chanted you deserve it that was just terrific and in yes. the ring in the <laughs> ring I think he's kind of in the ring I think he's underappreciated I think you're seeing the, the Miz has had some really good matches you know you know they're with Dolph Ziggler who's a good worker but I think between him and then Ambrose who you want to get over as a baby face the Miz is kind of one of those guys that you get over used to get a baby face over and, and so I think they should really I think that should be a long-term kind of feud you know they had the dirty finish tonight so you could see that turning into something but like yeah if you're going into the Royal Rumble and Miz and Ambrose is for the Intercontinental title and you got Styles and Undertaker for the, the world title I mean that's that's a good one too for smackdown considering their death issues that raj talked about i i i you know i'd like to see ambrose as a heel uh again because his fans are kind of turning on him but i just don't think miz will work long as a baby face but yeah uh, oh never never should be a baby face that was a terrible idea a couple years ago yeah but i thought this segment i thought miz just killed it i thought he was uh he was great the participation award was great uh, you oh know aj God. styles has been so awesome on smackdown but i miz isn't far behind i'm telling i mean like I, i'm gonna say this and i might get some crap for this but i think when you look back on the miz's career um i think post 2000 you know or, or the 10 years he's been in it i think people in the history of wrestling will, will talk about him in the same way they talk about piper in the 80s when when they look back on it i don't know about that. <laughs> no seriously man i'm telling you oh, like gosh, if you look no at way. what the miz has done as a heel he's the closest thing we have Who's, who's closer well, to that's because, But that's because traditional heel heat is such an anomaly these days. Yeah. That the fact that someone is emulating it reminds you of, of Roddy Piper. But I mean, it's, I've, I haven't it's, seen anyone else. Piper was that bringing well. in like new fans and yeah. celebrities and well, all that stuff. I would I put him more akin to like a Rick Rude at most. It's and impossible. They, oh, man, I'm it's you. impossible to evaluate how we're going to look at nostalgia, though, 20 years from now. Uh, I mean, even you look at guys like 15 years ago that nobody cared about, 
Um, but you bring them up now, I'm like, oh yeah, that guy, he was good. And it's just, you know, it's weird to, to anticipate right. like people in 30 years might be like, uh, you know, Michael Cole, man, he was such a great announcer. Uh, <laughs> you know, Saxton, man, back in the day. Yeah. No, because yeah. like you look at a guy like Ed Whalen, who did Calgary Stampede Wrestling, yeah. was like hated in like the outside of Calgary. Everyone just thought he was horrible. He got the worst uh, announcer award from the Wrestling Observer like five years in a row. But now everyone remembers Ed Whalen as like this great announcer. So it's hard to, you know, remember, you know, no, well, not really, because there's a difference between how wrestling fans remember things. Yes, you're going to remember stuff from a long time ago more favorably but it, re, guys that were icons that the business changed you can actually quantify it you can yeah, see well, like the ratings jump uh you know with piper and hogan and you know uh their their brawl on mtv doing huge ratings whereas uh y- y- you know the, i mean you could quantify it uh quantify it differently though now and what, what i will point to is this is okay so since the pipe bomb promo okay what the miz did on talking smack a few months ago what heel promo has has made you feel that electricity you know that sort of like hair standing up like i'm watching something here that that is is just captivating me yeah but you're talking about one promo as no, opposed but, to piper had no, you know, I, no, no 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 i'm saying but the miz like i'm saying that's like that's like the peak but i'm saying that he's hitting close to that level most of the time when he goes out there, and I think it's quantified differently. And now we don't look at ratings. Now we look at like, who's talking about it on social? Like what's the response to it? Are the fans sharing it? You know, is it getting people hyped and interested? I'm not saying he's taking it and run with it, but I'm saying he's the closest thing that we have to that in this era. Ooh, if they, I mean, if that's the case, that's pretty bad. I mean, Miz and Piper are too, you know, like that's, uh, but I do agree with you. I think Miz is, Gosh, um, him and Jericho are probably the hottest heels you got right now. As a, as it, you know, when it comes to like really getting a fan reaction and uh, and you know uh, and and being hot uh, and, and Jericho, to an extent Kevin Owens, but but Jericho and Owens are a little more with a wink, you know, yeah, like with Jericho I, especially. The other know. guy, the other guy that I think gets the real kind of heat is Rusev. I think yeah. Rusev is the heel that like you want to see get beaten as opposed to the heel. Like you said, Jericho and Owens, like are gonna, they have a lot of fans, you know, that root for them. You, there's not a ton of people that are like bringing Rusev signs or, you know, buying Rusev shirts or same and same with the Miz. And that's just, it's just that kind of heat that you just, it's, it's rare and, it, and it's effective because it's rare. And you got other guys that are like the cool heel that, you know. Yeah. And you know what I love about the Miz? He doesn't have to go out there and just diss your town and do all the cheap heat stupid oh, stuff I, miz is so much is, come on miz uh, so much of the stuff he does is cheap heat but uh, i'll say but this it's not it's his not career he, his career is i think the best it's been since yeah. uh since he's I, I think that's undisputable and i think um and i think he his, it, it definitely did take a turnaround with that daniel bryan promo i think he, he's he's gotten a lot more credibility since then yeah well you got uh, things but he's like, still not a main event heel we got things where he's touching on stuff like real life, you know, with Daniel Bryan. You know, the fans obviously love Daniel Bryan. So if you're going to insult Daniel Bryan for, you know, being too scared to come back, that that's that's easy heat. Well, a I lot mean, of people that, have. That is what it is. There have people on Talking Smack that have insulted Daniel Bryan. It, it, Miz nailed that promo out of the park the way well, he did it. It's awkward because it seems like you'd have to do the Miz versus Daniel Bryan at some point, which they can't do. And historically, Vince has been really adamant about never promoting 
arcing or hinting towards a match that they can't do. Just wrap um, Daniel in bubble wrap and put him out there just, just for one match. Get him, like, you know, a sumo suit, something to protect him. Well, just give him like a football helmet. <laughs> and do like when they did uh, Bret Hart Brinson's Vince McMahon at WrestleMania, where you have uh, oh, yeah. someone else, you know, someone else do all the work, and then you just do the sharpshooter. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm, t- I'm telling you, man. I'm, I'm not saying like I'm saying this is where where it's going, and I think the Miz, when you look back, will will be the the best heel of this era. Um, oh my gosh. I'm, t- I'm telling you, who else? I mean, when I see AJ, look, it's, I think AJ not, is great in the ring, but as a heel, it's awkward, man. Right, we'll have to we'll have to move on. But he's not a main event heel. Like people still don't buy him as a main eventer. And if he was the best heel, that's how people would buy him. There's a difference between the Miz and like The Rock, or you know, someone like or Miz and Triple H. Uh, there's one that people see as a pay-per-view draw that makes them want to buy their matches, and there's one that's entertaining. And yeah. And, and the uh, definition the definition of a heel has changed. So Miz best fits the old fashioned yes. old the rock school isn't a heel. definition of a heel. He was. Yeah, he but, was though. But, when he was a heel. I'm not talking about now. Obviously well, he's not a heel. Like but that's I think once the fans get too into it, and I think that's where the Miz has done it in the right way, where it's not like, oh well, he's you know a jerk, but we still really he's not an anti-hero. He's a true heel. I mean, with all these other guys, they're not really heels, they're more anti-heroes. They're more you know, sort of a badass who is you know, like, I mean, uh, like Matt Morgan said with the rock, you know, I mean, it's like the rock could be sort of mean, but it's like Fonzie still, it's like clever. It's like, you still like the guy. You think it's cool. You know, and with the Miz it's, it's, it's genuine, I guess is my point. Okay, um, okay. But let's okay. talk about the match itself. I mean, so, uh, so I mean, what, what do you think of, of just uh, the match and how they did it and having Ellsworth come out and get involved? I mean, I don't know. I mean, did, did that do anything for you? It felt to me like this did not have, um, that same level of polish as we've seen with Ambrose versus Styles, where clearly they've been able to work out their their beats more and develop the match more, or um, the Miz versus Ziggler. This to me didn't quite have that like okay, we worked on this for a long time sort of feel to it. I, I feel like that's how most Miz matches are. I feel like he found his chemistry with Ziggler, um, mm-hmm. but who, there haven't been many other people where you're like, wow, that's that, that was a really good Miz match. Um, uh, but uh, I thought I thought this match was fine. I think this feud would be something interesting. I I'd much rather go in this direction than Ellsworth and, and Ambrose. Um, but uh, yeah, I think uh, I, I I thought the match was fine, and and it it did keep you guessing because on one hand you could say it makes if if AJ is going to be out for let's say a few weeks, it would almost make sense to have Dean Ambrose win the Intercontinental Title since he had been losing so much. And then you put that on top at, at live events with the Miz, um, since you really got nothing else. Um, and I guess they could still do that with Ambrose chasing Miz, but at least it would give, uh, you know, uh, you, you'd have a title change and you can Miz win it back once uh, Styles is able to come back. The Miz should, I think, the Miz should be the longest reigning Intercontinental Champion of all time. That's oh, yeah. how I would book it. That's how it's a it's a so I think the Intercontinental title, which has been lost for a long time, has really had a nice rebirth uh, on SmackDown with the Miz. Like the matches with Ziggler were really good. You felt like the title was at uh, important. And tonight you felt like the title was in, was important with you know the Miz and, and Ambrose. And I agree with Raj. It should it should be the feud. They should do it on house shows, especially if Styles is out. That's pretty much the only feud you got that can you know do house shows right now. Um, 
and you know the longest reign is in reach. I don't. It's a four hundred and something days. It's still the honky tonk man. Um, and if the honky tonk man can hold the title for four hundred and fifty days, the Miz sure as hell can. So long time. <laughs> we'll have to see. Just uh, WWE is not good with uh, with keeping it going that long. But we'll see. I mean, the new day is one thing because that's a title that no one cares about anyway. Uh, but like you said, when you have a title that you care about. Uh, and you've got weekly TV, uh, the, the go-to is to do a title change here and there, like they did with Ziggler, even well, if the goal is to ultimately put it back. They've also really had the benefit of being on SmackDown, where there's not a lot of competition. So you got The Miz and Ziggler having like these 20, 25-minute matches. And they feel like these really big, kind of like, you know, the matches have been great. And they feel like the matches are a big deal, and they feel like it's a big deal. So the title, you know, gets a boost. And I always think it's interesting when they do, like, the history of the inter- Intercontinental title, and they show, like... You know, they always show Pat Patterson and Randy Savage and and Bret Hart and all those people, and they never show anyone from like the past like fifteen years because the title hasn't meant anything in the past fifteen years. But you know, it's time to you know maybe one day they can show the Miz holding it for four hundred fifty days, and people will remember it. Maybe they don't like the Miz, but they'll remember uh, his title reign because, like Glenn said, he is you know a really good heel. The best we got going, I think, right mm-hmm. now. And, and to the point to sort of qualify my earlier statement, Raj, I don't think anyone, whether it's, you know, the Hogan of this era, the Piper of this era, they'll never be the, on the level that it was in the 80s. Because well, because wrestling's not popular. Back. Yeah. I, that, well, it's we've had this debate before. It's it feels like it's more popular than ever. But I think that's because what? no, no, we no, did no. Not. <laughs> no, 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 no. Let me finish my statement with that okay no it feels like more pervasive like the fandom of it because of social media because of things like espn that if you're into wrestling you feel more surrounded by it so it feels like it's more i don't want to say mainstream it's not flashing the in the 80s i feel like it was flashing the pan for a while like it was sort of uh like the first wrestlemania was really big and you saw news coverage of it but by the time you know by the late 80s it's like wrestling. It, it, was, it was sort of out of favor. And now I think it's at a more pervasive level that is going to stay. I don't think it's necessarily reflected by just the ratings of the shows each week because so many people watch it in different ways. Uh, oh, man. there, There's uh, – I mean, we could go off for a half – yeah. let's look at this. You, you're talking about uh, it fading out after WrestleMania 1. Uh, Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant on main event. Uh did 33 million viewers right my, this my, this yeah. week's raw yeah. was under 3 million so you're talking more than 10 times the number of people watch that one show and you could say cord cutting but you're Whoa. not even in close Whoa. to the same Besides ballpark cord if you had to add everything up there's like what 50 million more people in the country than there was in 1987 so or yeah, exactly. So yeah. even with cord cutting, the, the market's bigger. I, I get what Glenn is saying as far as being surrounded by it because for some weird well, – there is a reason for it. But like places like ESPN and Sports Illustrated now taking pro wrestling like it's a serious sport, which hasn't been done since at least the 70s. As is makes, this weekend. Yeah. yeah, it makes it feel like it's more legit. But like to say it's more popular, I, I don't know. I, I will say this is that the hardcore fan base of today is 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 – much more stronger than it was in any other point. And that's because the internet has given, you know, so many tools and to communicate, like we're not doing this, this podcast, you know, if it's exactly, I think so much of it is the internet because a lot of these mainstream news, ESPN does, you know, they're off the top rope segment, uh, you know, for 
five minutes, 10 minutes once a week. But outside of that, you're not seeing WWE articles in Sports Illustrated, the magazine. You're seeing WWE online as as filler, as content mm-hmm. uh, for page views because, you know, the online fans are hardcore. But in mainstream media, I think wrestling is less popular. You never see someone wearing a wrestling shirt unless you're going to – Yeah. Uh, this you week, know. it's funny you say that. This week, around town, I have spotted an Enzo and Cash shirt and a Dean Ambrose hoodie. Different people, different ages, different times and circumstances, and that's in the small town where I live. And I, I was actually very surprised by that. Um, I would think of it that I feel like it's just more a part, an accepted part of the popular culture now. You don't mm. hear people talking as much more about like, oh, it's this hokey thing or it's fake or. It, it's a little more. I think it's a little more. Ex- uh, uh, accepted in mainstream media but mm. if you if you're uh on a date and you tell a girl you're a big wrestling fan you know it, it could be trouble um, oh no that's a second that's a that's a second date admission at least when i get my hair cut and i bring up professional wrestling which is what i do when i get my hair cut um every time i have someone tell me that they've watched a little of it but that they love total divas you know so, so I feel with like- women well, yeah, but I'm saying with like all the different cross sections right now, I'm, I'm telling you like the the general awareness and the depth of awareness is because in the 80s, everyone knew Andre Piper Hogan. I'm telling you, people now know the entire cast of Total Divas. They know who their boyfriends are in there. It, it's it's a different way now. And our culture is different now. But I'm telling you, it's 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 interesting how it's grown. I think it's shrunk. I think you have uh, more, you know, every every I think. An average person would probably know. I mean, is definitely going to know the Rocks. Probably knows Steve Austin. Uh, probably knows uh, Undertaker, Ultimate Warrior, Hulk Hogan. The average person does not know Randy Orton. Um, you know, and and you're talking about uh, there are you know the Total Divas does attract uh, a lot of women that don't watch wrestling, but they still don't watch wrestling. So what mm-hmm. they watch on Total Divas, it doesn't follow to uh, to WWE, so they might know, uh, you know, Jay Uso or Jimmy Uso, but they won't know uh, Dean Ambrose. You know what I mean? So, well, maybe. But, I, they, but then again, you're. Ta- season? With I Ray? don't know, but Total Divas. You're again. You're talking less than a million viewers now. Uh, if you added up all the shows, you're probably at one point three, one point four, uh, as opposed to uh, you know Raw in the. You know, during the Attitude Era with Nitro, they would, you know, do a combined uh, 10 rating. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's, there was an episode of Raw that did over 8 million viewers. So, mm-hmm. it's a huge difference. I would love well, to know what actuals are right now. Um, I mean, we've talked about this before. I mean, like, I watch Raw um, live on the East Coast feed illegally through Comcast. SmackDown, I watch illegally every week. Um, you know, so I'd be really curious because I know people don't really torrent anymore. There used to be those lists of like the most torrented programming each week, but I would be really curious, like what the actual numbers are right now versus the Nielsen's, which is such an arbitrary outdated way of measuring viewership. Well, yeah, for what you're talking about, people complain about the Nielsen's and the Nielsen's you can say are unimportant They're The Nielsen's entire importance is that if advertisers take them seriously, then that then they're as important as anything. And advertisers do take them seriously, maybe not as much as in the, in the past. Uh, the thing about, like torrenting and stuff that's ratings well ratings in general are one thing to quantify it but you can look at house show attendance mm-hmm. uh you know uh, i don't know if you guys saw this and i wrote about it on a friday i mentioned it uh i think he's done stuff for wrestling is a uh, brandon howard brandon 
Thurston, he did an awesome piece uh, comparing like a WWE pay-per-view numbers and the network and predicting basically how much pay-per-view, how many, how many uh, pay-per-view buys paper shows that were on the network would do like how many pay-per-views were WrestleMania have done if the, it wasn't on the network. And he, what he does is he uses the Google search analytics, which are really uh, have proven to be pretty accurate as far as predicting pay-per-view buys as far as like activity. And it's, so it's just like an interesting thing to compare about like what, you know, we don't really know what business is right now uh, for pay-per-views and that's been the, cause of the network. And so it's, it's just, it's, it's hard to quantify. And that's basically what we're talking about last 10, 10 minutes. It's, just, it's, it's hard to quantify how popular it is. Yeah. But the pay-per-view numbers were dropping significantly each year before mm-hmm. they switched to the network. So because who mm-hmm. buys pay-per-views? anymore Connor McGregor pay-per-views the you know are doing 1.5 million I uh, think those are because those happen less often and um, they happen every month the more UFC is doing every Connor McGregor's every month right? no not Connor McGregor but UFC yeah. is doing pay-per-views every month yes there, there are a certain number of people that draw um, but people will buy a pay-per-view if it feels like a big deal. But you yeah, know what's the- interesting is in terms of piracy, they shut down. Pay-per-view piracy is always the number one target. And I guess I, I, I mean, I truly believe based on what I've seen, that's the number one thing people pirate are the pay-per-views. Uh, I, I, what's that? Like illegal, illegal streaming. Yeah, of pay-per-views is like oh, the I'm biggest sure. illegal. Yeah, because streaming. those are like seventy bucks, or you know, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's not like you're streaming a movie instead of renting it. But know? also, in terms of house shows, I also think house shows have lower attendance because we're in a different era now. We have more. Like, why do you need to leave your own house to watch anything at this point? I think that you know, like, is how are rodeo figures right but now? Football figures are are you know the live attendance is is yeah, a little different. Huge. UFC is huge, even though you know they. Uh, they're on way, you know, almost as much as WWE now. I mean, yeah, as but far a house as show, I think it's more like going to the rodeo or yeah. But these ultimate fight nights are like that because no one, you know, they're all fights that nobody cares about. Yeah. Um, you, you give people something to care about and want to see, they'll go. There's just not, uh, there's just not much that uh, motivates people to step out of their realm and and you know and go as you know like a WrestleMania and now. They're doing it with their their pay-per-views. And now yeah. it seems like people now are only caring about the the co-branded pay-per-views because the numbers, you know, we've seen, like just uh, interest online for Survivor Series is way different than TLC. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. and, and it used to be not that much of a difference. And uh, so now people just are seeing like these uh, Raw and SmackDown co-branded shows as, as uh, an enhanced Raw or SmackDown episode. Yeah, especially with Raw going to uh, three hours, you know, now it's what's the difference between Raw and a pay-per-view? The matches matter more, but at the same time, it doesn't feel like that kind of special kind of, you know, occasion. And plus, like, the show and the pay-per-views aren't in general aren't as interesting anymore. So it's no wonder that the, uh, you know, the numbers are down for you guys. Um, so let's get to yeah, let's talk about this list. That, yeah, uh, let's Jesse's get to, we, we are going a little long today. Yeah. Uh, so Jesse has been writing this column every week on for the last 48 weeks. Um, yeah. looking at the top 50 wrestlers of all time, uh, kind of controversial last, gets a lot last, of last 50 years or the last 50 years. Sorry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's been getting a lot of feedback. We're down to the top two. Uh, that'll be unveiled over the next two weeks. Uh, number three was Hulk Hogan. Um, I think people can kind of guess who the top two are. Um, I hope. Uh, now, looking at feedback, uh, has it 
has it made you want to change any of the any of the orders on the list? In a way, I think I like I kind of you know would think about changing a couple things, but you know the list. The point of the list is that I was coming from my own perspective, and everyone has an opinion. So like you know, if I say Hulk Hogan is number three, and someone else is you know number two, that's just you know my opinion, and I like to think I use relevant facts and you know examine you know different sides of the argument to make that decision. But if you think Hulk Hogan is number one, then Hulk Hogan's number one. I'm not here to like you know, diss on you for, for not liking that. And there has been like, you know, you know, it's a challenge. I've kind of, I've kind of gone outside of the traditional realm. Cause I could have done, you know, top, you know, 25 American wrestlers in the last 25 years. And that would have been probably a much more accepted list just because the names are more well-known. But I also felt like there was kind of a void, you know, in the list, kind of universe you know the three big lists that i think of that i you know looked at were the wwe dvd list which was if you think my list is bad um you should see the wwe dvd list i don't know if you're familiar with it but it's it's pretty bad and then there's you know some other lists out there that either you know don't include uh you know a lot of the older wrestlers and a lot of lists that don't include japanese or mexican wrestlers and I feel like that's they're relevant at least to the discussion. It maybe if maybe not among you know American fans, but just in general. I I, I do got to ask. I, I agree with a, a lot of the list, um, but I cannot see how Steve Austin is above Hulk Hogan. Yeah, I mean, the difference between number one and number three, or number two and number three, is you know arbitrary at this point, and so. So so why so let me ask you why do you think Hogan would be ahead of Austin? Because Hogan was a draw from '83 till uh, till, I mean you could argue uh, his match with Shawn Michaels because that that did a big pay per view number. So what was that? 2001, 2002. Oh, his match with Michaels was in 2005. 2005. So you're talking yeah. 85. So that's 20 years right there uh, where he was a huge draw. Now Austin still would be if he came out of retirement, but mm-hmm. Austin was a big pay-per-view draw and a house show draw for five, maybe uh, he started his big run was 98 to, to 2001 really. Yeah. So let's say Hogan became a main event draw in 1983, which is generally that's when he kind of began to peak with the AWA. It's when he began to work, you know, with, with new Japan when he really became kind of like a, a bigger draw and then I'd say his true peak as a babyface lasted until 1990, and then he was he was a draw for for you know 91 from 91 to 95 you know with both WWF and WCW, but he wasn't like a, a mega draw anymore. You know he was like you know like a Bret Hart level draw, which is which is big, but it's not you know in the you know the top five biggest draws of all time. And then his time in WCW, he was a draw from a, a real like you know, Austin level draw from mid-1996 to mid-1998. By the end of 1998, nobody could draw for WCW and it was beginning to fall apart. And then he wrestled sporadically, you know, from then on. So, and, and another thing, so like, so Hogan was a, you're right, Raj, Hogan had a longer shelf life than Austin. But another thing, and this is why you can't, numbers are so hard to just compare. And that's what I think is that Austin had a 
more difficult time being a draw than Hogan did because Hogan's shelf life lasted longer in the WWF. You know, he was a big draw for seven years, but Hogan also did that when they mostly only ran four pay-per-views a year and there was no Monday night raw. So Austin ends up being a, a, a bigger draw over those five years than Hogan was over those seven years because Austin was a, a draw for Monday night raw for 52 nights or 52 nights a year, plus doing, you know, 12 pay-per-views a year, plus all the house shows and stuff like that. And, you know, that I think that gives him a little bit of an edge over in just by pure drawing metrics. But, and again, it's controversial. If you want to put Hogan as, you know, this longstanding draw, then that's, that's fine. I mean, if you want to say Hogan was a bigger draw than Austin, you know, there's relevant information to back you up. I think, Raj, so to the point earlier, though, that also touches on something interesting. The reason WrestleMania 3 was so big is because you didn't have Monday Night Raw. You didn't have SmackDown. You you could see wrestling on TV, what, six times a year on NBC mm-hmm. when they preempted SNL? Um, you know, and I think Hogan, the reason why I would think Hogan deserves to be number one is that I think, you know, you could argue that we wouldn't be here right now and the majority of our audience wouldn't be here right now if Hogan... If I mean, he transformed wrestling with his, his star power. And if you look at the void of things right now, you know, that's that's really what the company is lacking, you know, is someone that is that I mean, Cena's probably the closest to that. He's the, he's the last, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But we don't have I mean, Hogan, Hogan was the megastar. I mean, in fact, I would say you know, going back to we're talking about Piper. Piper was a great foil. But I mean, Hogan. I mean, that as, as a baby face, everybody knew who Hulk Hogan was. Um, yeah. Throughout. And you could argue that with Austin too, and, and as far as the business changing, because it yeah. was going from a two point rating to you know uh, mm-hmm. God, they were doing they were averaging in the sixes towards yeah the, eight to nines at points yeah yeah so yeah. Uh, that yeah I mean Hogan and Austin I mean they're like, the fact that that match never happened uh, you know is 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 so sad. You know, I mean, it, 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 and I know what you're going to say, Glenn, it would have been a sucky match, but look, Hogan and because the plan that year with Hogan Rock was Hogan and Austin. Hogan versus Rock was not a great match. Yeah. But it yeah. was going to be remembered. You know, it's one of the most remembered WrestleMania matches and the crowd reaction would have just carried that thing. Yeah. And here's a, here's a, my two, like, I feel like most consistent complaints about as far as ranking people. And that's the first is, you know, so-and-so was a bigger draw than the other guy, which, or, which is so hard because drawing is while we have numbers like, oh, he did so-and-so pay-per-views. But how do you compare people outside of you know, people that were in the exact same time period? Like we talked about like the Hogan numbers as composed to Austin numbers, and you know, Austin was doing it with way more exposure. Or how do you compare you know, Austin to Bruno San Martino, where San Martino was a big draw, and that was based off attendance numbers, and that was pretty much it, because that's all you had was attendance. You know, TV wasn't really that big of a deal in the New York market, and plus there was, you know, no no such thing as pay-per-view, obviously. And then, so how do you compare those two guys? So that's difficult. And plus, the, the situations were different. Hogan drew in the 1980s when the WWF did not have a real rival. WWF harnessed the power of cable and pay-per-view way better than every other competitor and they had you know Vince McMahon paid top dollar to get talent from all over the country and all over the world really to come in and feud with Hogan and they just steamrolled everyone because there was no real competition and then you look at Austin Austin had to do what is generally like something that WWE is learning now is pretty hard to do and that's to get fans back that are no longer watching your product yeah, Austin. Austin also had uh, the benefit that Austin has over uh, what guys today has is he was really able to tweak his character and make it his own as opposed to what these writers are coming up with. 
And I, and what I'm saying is that's what they really need to start doing more is let these guys figure their characters out and not have to stay so, so closely tied to a script and, and these, these scripted promos and things like that. Yeah. And, and think- that's, that's your, that's the perfect point Raj is comparing. And that's one of the things that, you know, really learned doing this list is that like people can just be like, Oh, there'll never be another rock or, or Austin again. And you know, like why do people say that? Because like Austin and Rock were like super, super talented once in a generation talent, but they were once in a generation talent. That means in the next generation, there should be someone that's just as talented as them. But is that person going to have the same kind of freedom to exploit that talent the way the Rock or Austin or, you know, other people did? I'm really surprised you have the Rock uh, at 13 on the list and not higher up because <laughs> I think, uh, because I think it transform in terms of transformative in this business and transcendent, I mean, right? That's that's the biggest name post Hulk Hogan. It is, but I, I think his run on top uh, was yeah. was short. Is the only thing it, like during the time of yeah. Austin, I, I definitely think Rock should have been top ten. Uh, I think well, like thirteen and ten again, not really that big of a difference. Uh, the thing about it sounds Austin, a lot different. I know. I know. <laughs> the, the 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 thing about comparing like so the Austin and the Rock. So the arguments I made for Austin as. Uh, over Hogan could be the same thing applied to The Rock because The Rock was in the exact same time period as Austin. Um, the Rock was a really big draw, but I think what gives Austin a, a leap over The Rock and something that kind of lets Austin get past the fact that his peak was kind of short, and that's that The Rock really like got over and became a super draw when the WWF was already kind of hot at the time. Like by yeah. you know, he rode the coattails, yeah, but took well, it to I another mean, level. Yeah, yeah, but but by mid nineteen ninety eight, like uh, I think in it's. The SummerSlam 1998, he was still in the, you know, the mid card, uh, you know, feuding over the Intercontinental title. It was a big match, but he was still in the mid card by, you know, until, you know, he, you know, the fall of 1998. And by that point, the WWF had already turned the corner and started beating WCW in the ratings. And that was because Austin did all that. And you can say, you know, if you look back at like late 1997 to 1998, when the WWF like made its big comeback, Austin was really like you can say later in the attitude era there were a lot of big stars but you know WCW had taken Hall and Nash uh they ended up taking Bret Hart uh Shawn Michaels was out of the picture uh by the by the spring of 1998 it was really just the Austin the Undertaker and the Vince McMahon character and then McFoley that was really it for like really established talent um so the fact that he did that with you know not a lot of help at the beginning uh, really helped it. And, and so basically the rock, yeah, huge statistical number. Everyone loves the rock, you know, 13, I think is, is a reasonable spot to put him. You know, if you wanted to put him in the top 10, you know, definitely. Yeah. And you know, a lot of the, you know, there's a lot of people who think Sean Michaels, there's a lot of different factors. It's not just wrestling ability. It's drawing, it's, it's mm-hmm. getting people to it, turn, turning the business around is huge. And well, and, uh, I think, you know, the rock, you know, uh, that was a controversial one, but you know, his wrestling career uh, on top was short, but he is also, he is the biggest star to come out of wrestling of all time. Yeah. As far as, you know, exploiting that mainstream. Yeah. Yeah. As far as like, if you were to, the most popular wrestler of all time based in the United States would be the rock because he's become more of a pop cultural icon than anything Hogan, you know, could have dreamed of, or even Austin. Um, But one of the things like about like the list, like criteria is that, there's a lot of great – so I use the word greatest, and there's a lot of different ways to be great. Like we can all agree that uh, Dusty Rhodes was a great wrestler, mm-hmm. and we can all agree that a guy like um, 
let's see, let's use uh, Eddie Kurt Angle. Kurt Angle, yeah, or Eddie Guerrero was a great wrestler, and or we could all agree that Steve Austin was a great wrestler, and they're all very different people. Um, you know, as far as being great, they all got over to a, a big degree, but they did it in different ways. And like I said, there's going to be some guys on the list that were not very good wrestlers, but they were still extremely popular because they were good promos. They had charisma. They were, you know, part of some big angles. They drew a lot of money. Or there were guys that might not have drawn as much that were really good wrestlers. I think if you were to look at it, the most controversial person I have on the list by far would be uh, Jushin Thunder Liger. Because Liger never main evented a lot of stuff. He never contended for the world title uh, in any, you know, he was never, a, you know, a top contender for the world title. You could never really say that he was like a top level draw. But at the same time, you look at his influence and you think of like, ask any casual wrestling fan to name like J- a Japanese pro wrestler. They'll probably say uh, Inoki or Baba, or they'll say, um, you know, like, uh, great Muda because he had success in the United States, but they'll probably say Jushin Liger too, which is pretty impressive because there's a lot of Japanese wrestlers who drew more in Japan, but they have no idea, but people don't know who he is and everyone knows who Liger is. Mm. That's a fair point. Uh, so cool. So, uh, check out the list, check it out on wrestlinginc.com. 50 greatest wrestlers of all time. Uh, fat, past 50 years of the past 50 years that is important. Yeah, yeah. so abe lincoln isn't is not gorgeous yeah George, well, that's the, the thing it was gonna be too tough like too tough like how do i rank like frank gotch with like <laughs> bret hart and some lists try to do that i just think that's so dumb because you know it's hard enough ranking guys from the 60s to guys to today then you start going you know it, man had the internet been around then frank gotch would have been clearly over yeah uh, you it's almost like you need, <laughs> you need separate lists for the different eras you know yeah you could break like, it down by yeah exactly you know that would be a lot of work and yeah. you know but i've enjoyed doing it uh i'm glad people like it i'm glad it's something you know saturday is generally a slow news day so i'm glad to give somebody people uh something to do i'm hoping to eventually at least self-publish uh, a book that contains all the information on it plus like an extended edition with you cool. know a big i have like a, i already wrote like a big q a section as far as people who like might might have been on the list like chris jericho or or eddie guerrero or those kind of people that people wonder oh sh- why weren't they on the list that's kind of that part so i hope to you know have that out sometime next year yeah dude kdp man create space get it out there uh, i yeah. think uh, you know it'd be great to expand upon it um awesome man so thanks so much for joining us jesse you yeah no I, come back on the podcast this is great yeah no i had a great time you know i got as people who read me know that i have a lot of opinions so opinions are good man Uh, i hope yeah i hope everything's good um yeah have a good rest of the week yeah um so where can people find you on twitter yeah so i'm under my name it's just hashtag jesse callings now my last name is c-o-l-l-i-n-g-s uh i always find it funny when people complain about me in the comments and they spell my name wrong um so it's just (laughs) at jesse callings uh it's where I, i i it's only purely only wrestling related tweets uh so you can find me there um, also read my stuff comes out every Friday of uh, views from the turnbuckle that I just, I really enjoy doing. Um, plus the list is going to come up and this next month will be fun because I'll do like my superstar of the year award, my, you know, my wrestling award show plus top 10 matches of 2016, uh, and then do pay-per-view reviews and stuff like that. So thanks for wrestling Inc. Yeah, yep. wrestlinginc.com. And then uh, be sure to hit me up on Twitter if you want to take contention with many of the bold statements I've said during today's podcast. I'm at Glenn Rubenstein, and I will spend time arguing with people to contextualize my Miz argument, especially. And we, um, will, uh, we will continue arguing next week. Yeah, definitely, <laughs> man. Cool. Yeah, so Raj and I will be back here with Matt Morgan on Monday night to discuss Monday Night Raw. Uh, in the meantime, I'm Glenn Rubenstein, and I will see you back here on the Wrestling Inc. podcast. Take care.